The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? With regard to Chen's newsletter, uh, you will be able to sign up for that letter during the first 10 business days of the new year. Chen does have a restriction on new subscriptions, and people who want to sign up uh, for his newsletter are required to put their name on a waiting list and then sign up uh, during that window of opportunity during the first quarter of each uh, of uh, the first 10 days of each new quarter. So the first few days of January uh, will be an opportunity to sign up for this excellent newsletter. Um, now, you can also uh, sign up for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, uh, anytime. And that you could go to miningstocks.com to sign up for my letter as well as Chen's, uh, put your name on Chen's waiting list. So it's miningstocks.com. You can also call our office in New York at 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426. As I just noted, the name of my newsletter is J. Taylor's Gold energy and tech stocks, and we will be talking uh, a little bit about energy stocks later today uh, with one of our guests. More on that a bit later. I should mention that you can also follow uh, everything that I do on J. Taylor Media, that's J-A-Y TaylorMedia.com, and you can follow me on Twitter under the handle J. Taylor Media. I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And we also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors uh, for the first uh, for uh, for the for this uh, show today are Nanostruck Technologies, uh, Paramount Gold and Silver, Columbus Gold, Golden Arrow Resources, uh, and um, I should mention that. Um, all of those companies, uh, the share prices are down very considerably. Uh, all of them are suffering through what I think is one of the worst uh, bear markets that I've experienced in 30 years of covering the junior resource sector. And so the big question on my mind and everybody else's mind is whether or not 
this provides an excellent opportunity, a buying opportunity, if you will, to buy a beleaguered sec- uh, sector. Uh, certainly, if you uh, if you are a contrarian investor, you've got to take a good look at the uh, gold mining sector now. And uh, I think that there are chances uh, that we are nearing a period of time when there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of money made in this sector. It's very difficult to see it, as they say, it's darkest before the dawn. And I I certainly have the feeling that um, that it is very dark right now in the gold mining sector. These companies have gotten hit very very hard. Uh, some of the junior exploration companies are down eighty and ninety percent over the last two years. Uh, but I have been through this before. This is one of the worst ones, but I've been through these before, and so uh, this is the sort of the nature of the exploration sector. The big guys are getting hit pretty hard too in many ways, but I think um, there there will be uh, uh, opportunities here among these junior mining companies uh, to make a lot of money. I'll just go over some of the comments that I made in my last weekly newsletter. Uh, the I track the monthly price of gold. I look at gold not every day, every minute. I'm not a trader. I like to look at trends. And so from the days when I worked at ING Bearings and we tracked the gold price there, I've been uh, keeping that same chart alive and uh, and watching it very closely. Uh, the monthly gold price, and then I look at the 20-month moving average and a 40-month moving average. And we have been in one very substantial bull market. I think it's still a secular bull market for a lifetime. I think we are in a cyclical bear within a secular bull. Uh, but the um, clearly, as you look at this chart, you're seeing a huge rollover uh, in this trend. And we've broken trend, which was up with the monthly uh, average higher than the 20-month and the 20-month higher than the 40-month. That turned around and headed down about a year ago. Uh, and now we're seeing the monthly average substantially below both of those longer-term averages. So clearly until we start to see a bottoming out, uh, this is not a very uh, a very bullish, but it's a very bearish picture for the gold mining sector at the present time. Um, now, it seems to me, though, in looking at some technical levels, uh, $1,200 is a very key level. If the gold price can hold at 1200 and rally from here, and I know Charles Nanner is looking at 1200 as a target, whether that's his ultimate target on the downside, I'm not sure. Uh, if we break 1200 then it looks to me like we could, uh, we could be looking at something just slightly above 1000 uh, And in that case, we would be looking at some kind of a correction very similar to what we saw and I'm old enough to say what I saw back in the 1970s when gold went from about $200 to $100 and then from $100 to $850. I honestly believe that we could see something akin to that. Uh, and what I'm saying is even if we went down to about 1000 we would still have that potential. Now, however... I I think that one always needs to keep an open mind about markets. And I'm not saying I believe this is likely, but I think you have to keep an open mind. If we were to break 1,000 and stay there for any length of time, then I think you might have to think that the bull market in gold is over. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I believe that's the case. I don't believe it at all for a whole lot of reasons. I think the fundamentals are still very dramatically in favor of a gold bull market. If you just take a look at the global economy, or more specifically at the U.S. economy, um, and 
Well, before we get to that, just look at the demand for gold. It is extremely strong in China and India. And I uh, mentioned, I think, last week that when I was on a panel, a gold panel, uh, at the uh, at the gold show in San Francisco, uh, a Kitco analyst was commenting about how the price of gold uh, in the black market in India was $300 higher than the uh, than the paper market prices in New York. There is very little doubt in my mind that the paper markets are obscuring the real demand and the price for gold bullion. So I think that uh, that is part of the con game that is being carried out by the Fed and by the pro- by the policymakers in order to keep people. Uh, conned into the paper game to keep buying stocks, to keep uh, putting their confidence in the policymakers and the Ph.D. standard, as James Grant calls it, rather than the gold standard. But that Ph.D. standard is doing a horrible job in terms of reviving the economy. We're looking at, uh, yes, the S&P is rising to new highs, uh, but the GDP continues down since about 2011. They're going in directly opposite uh, op- opposite directions. We have massive unemployment problems uh, that, with uh, continued uh, the number of people employed continuing to, to decline. Uh, and the Russell 2000, I noticed the other day, uh, has shrunk its workforce by 50% since the year 2000. 2,000 of the larger companies in the United States have shrunk their workforce by 50% since the year, year 2000. And the Cleveland Fed is actually predicting zero GDP growth during the first quarter of 2014. And what's really sort of interesting about that is it's happening in spite of the fact that the yield curve is steepening. Normally, when you start to see a flattening out or an inverted yield curve, that usually presages a, 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 a recession. Uh, and um, so... You know, the, the real economy is really reeling. It is really in bad shape. Record number of people on food stamps. It seems like there's a growing amount of labor unrest uh, these days because people, average people, are hurting very, very badly. And uh, so all of this talk about tapering, I think, we're hearing about tapering. I don't believe it. I don't believe it's possible. Uh, if we, uh, if they do even the mere mention of tapering and Wall Street, uh, throws a hissy fit, as David Stockman calls it, uh, we saw what happened before when they, when they mentioned it. Um, so I, I think that, uh, Dan Oliver, uh, a gold fund manager who I hope to have on this show, uh, in the new year, in fact, he's scheduled to come on the first Tuesday of the new, of the new year, the 7th of January, provided some great evidence, I think, in a recent missive that he wrote in which he talked about and showed that tapering is just, uh, it's not possible because the increase in the amount of money that has been pumped into the system is so dramatic and so strong, so, so, is growing so rapidly that even a little bit of a pullback would, uh, would probably send the dominoes falling and imploding into a deflationary uh, into a stock market crash and, and probably a deflationary implosion throughout the economy. So I think that really that what we're, what we're looking at um, and what we have to be watching as much as anything, uh, rather than a tapering, is an acceleration of the printing press, uh, an acceleration of quantitative easing, if you, if you will. And I think that will likely be the turning point for gold, that will send gold up in what Robert McHugh calls the wave five up uh, in, the, uh, in the secular bull market for gold. Um, 
in any event, the uh, I, I just want to mention that at this, as I said a little earlier, I think right now is the time in which we have a great opportunity, if you have some cash available, to buy some of the mining shares. I commented in my last newsletter about a whole lot of the companies on my issue on my in my newsletter. Um, Homestake Mining, Klondex Mining, Magellan Mining, Marathon Gold, uh, Probe Mines, uh, Rye Patch, uh, Southern Silver, Colorado Resources, Comstack Metals, New Legacy Gold. There's just a whole lot of companies. Planjo Exploration, uh, SGX, a favorite of mine on the exploration front, Silvista Gold, a whole lot of companies like that. I am really uh, much more favorable right now uh, to the uh, project generators as well as the new producers the smaller companies that are producing gold can grow organically uh, and and not have to raise more capital out in the markets. And certainly one of those that we're going to be talking to Bruce Braganolo in just a few uh, minutes here after our commercial break. He is the CEO of one of my favorite uh, small junior mining companies. They'll, well, not all that small. They'll be producing over 100,000 ounces of gold this year. Timmins Gold is the name of the company. Timmins was a sponsor of the show last quarter. Uh, we didn't get around to talking to Bruce then, but he's coming on today with Timmins selling at about a dollar seven this stock looks very very good to me uh, at at these levels but we're going to hear what what he has to say uh, we were going to be talking to uh, my good friend Ian Gordon today but Ian came down with a very serious bout of the flu so he's not going to be with us Ian the last time we talked to him was suggesting a thousand on the Dow and a four thousand dollar gold price at the bottom of this what he calls a Kondratiev winter cycle and Ian's not going to be with us. I do hope to have him early in 2014 to talk about his deflationary views. And I also hope to have Dr. Mark Thornton uh, from the Mises Institute, a real Austrian economist. Uh, I understand he has some insights on deflation and inflation. I want to get Dr. Thornton to talk about that as well. In Ian Gordon's absence today, however, we are fortunate to have John Rubino, uh, who co-authored the book with James Turk, uh, Dollar Collapse. Now, I'll ask John what he thinks about this inflation deflation issue and whether he thinks uh, Ian Gordon is all wet in his sort of dire predictions. Uh, we've talked to, to John Rubino before on the show. He's very insightful, always has a lot of interesting things to say about the markets, and we'll ask him wh- where he thinks we're headed in the equity markets, the bond markets, and the precious metals markets as we head into 2014. Uh, always insightful, so you won't want to miss John Rubino. And then to start the second hour today, I'm going to be talking to Jeff Siegel. He's the managing editor of Wealth, uh, Wealth Daily's Freedom Watch. Uh, he's going to talk about the energy markets, and specifically, uh, he's going to talk about the renewable energy markets and uh, very sort of switching gears a little bit from uh, from precious metals to the energy markets. It should be very interesting. I, he's going to have some investment ideas and some stocks he thinks can do very, very well in that sector. And finally, during the last hour, my good friend Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity will be joining me as well uh, to talk about the federal court's ruling that NSA is acting in an unconstitutional manner by spying on all Americans all of the time. Well, can you imagine that? that in the United States of America we would think that would be unconstitutional? Well, certainly it is unconstitutional. Whether or not the Supreme Court will uphold it is another issue. But we're going to talk to Daniel about that. bit of good news for a change on the, uh, on the police state, the surveillance state that America has become. Well, we do have to, my engineer is telling me we do have to go to break now. Uh, but when we come back, uh, we will be with Bruce Braganolo, the CEO of Timmins Gold, 
you won't want to miss this story. If you're interested in investing in gold mining shares, if you're interested in buying low and selling high, I think uh, you're going to want to hear what Bruce Braganello has to say. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me uh, Bruce Braganello, the present CEO and founder of a relatively new gold producer, probably not known to many of you. It's certainly a company that I've followed for a number of years, uh, followed it long before it was a producer, and uh, been very, very pleased uh, to have recommended this stock in its infancy. I am uh, really pleased to have Bruce with me. He is... Um, uh, he, he, as I mentioned, was a founder, uh, was the founder of uh, of Timmins Gold uh, Corp, and uh, he was before that a practicing lawyer. Uh, he's had over 27 years of experience in the natural resource sector. Uh, during his prior career, Bruce uh, really established, spent that uh, time well in establishing relationships that have served him well uh, as the CEO of Timmins Gold Corp. And he does remain a a member in good standing in the legal society, the British uh, Columbia Bar Association, and uh, he's been responsible for structuring over $90 million in equity and debt for Timmins Gold and overseeing the growth of that company. Welcome, Bruce. It's really good to have you with me. Yeah, hi, Jay. I apologize to the listeners for my cold, but uh, apart from that, I'm feeling pretty good. Well, you sound pretty good, and I understand uh, your buddy Ian Gordon, who is supposed to be with us, is uh, is not doing as well as you. I think he's really, really suffering today. So we uh, we allowed him to beg off and come back again some other time. But I'm glad you could join us, and we'll. Um, uh, yeah, I think you sound great, so don't worry about that great. for now. Okay. But well, I know, I know, nice to be here. I know how it feels when you have a cold and you have to carry and you have to talk a lot on the radio. It's not a lot of fun. I've been been there and done that. Um, I should mention to our listeners that uh, that um, Timmins Gold trades on the New York Exchange under TGD is a symbol, and then it trades in Toronto under TMM. 
uh, and 144 million shares outstanding, and trading as I'm looking at the screen right now at a dollar seven in New York, uh, sort of a, I think a, a really a, a bargain price right now in my view. And I might say just as a disclaimer that I, I do own these shares. I purchased them for my retirement account, and they are uh, Timmins Gold is also a recommendation in my newsletter. And Timmins Gold had been a sponsor to this show in a prior quarter. Uh, before this, um, but uh, it's it's to me, uh, Bruce. You're projecting, I think, now uh, producing something like 118,000 ounces this year of gold from your Timmins uh, from your project, uh, the Fran- San Francisco project in um, in Mexico. Is that right? That, that's right, Jay. Uh, we're we're bang on target to meet our our guidance for the year, uh, and uh, the mine is actually operating very well. All that. The only impediment these days is uh, the price of gold. Yeah, and uh, of course that's not a not that's a that's a fairly serious impediment. But you're still managing to make money. I noticed that uh, through the first nine uh, months of this year, I think you had earned something like nine cents, which isn't which is a fairly nice earning for a company that's selling at just a little over a dollar. Yeah, I mean the way to look at our costs right now for 2013. Our cost will be between seven hundred and um, seven hundred and fifty dollars per ounce on a cash cost basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the mine level, as we start mining a little lower grade in years going forward, our costs at the mine level are going to go to eight fifty. Our, our, that's a cash cost basically, mm-hmm. and our all-in costs, including G and A and everything, is going to be uh, somewhere around a thousand dollars, sub a thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. So the way to look at it is you take $1,000, you take the price of gold, you subtract our cost, and that's our, uh, that's our profit before tax. All right, so today, uh, gold is at, right now, I'm looking at it on the screen, it's at $1,231. Bruce, before we go any further, I want to ask you a lot more about your uh, your your project down there and your future, but uh, you must have some sort of a conviction about the price of gold. Um, I, I wouldn't expect it to be unbiased uh, because it's very important to you and your shareholders. But what are, your, what are you seeing for, the, for gold right now? I mean, is this, this has really been a punishing move on the downside, hasn't it been? Well, it has. I mean, when, when you look at it, when we first uh, started, you know, when we first purchased the mine uh, and signed our first contract to purchase the mine back in 2005, we were looking for the biggest in-ground resource we could find in Mexico. And we found a past-producing mine called the San Francisco Mine. Uh, and it's, it's in northern Sonora, great place to work, right off a four-lane highway. So it took us about 10 minutes to make the decision to purchase the mine. Mm-hmm. At that point, gold was $425 an ounce. Yeah. And, you know, we were trading at, the, at this price, $1.10. We were trading at this price in 2007. Uh, when gold was around eight hundred dollars an ounce, mm-hmm. so we've we've lost it seems on the valuations of mining companies and and explorers as well. Uh, we've lost the last um, six years of uh, of market share. Mm-hmm. So you know, my own thought is that we we always uh, we've always been big believers in the price of gold. Now I must say, when I first started this, I didn't think gold was going above eight fifty. Mm-hmm. Then again, we didn't think our costs would be where they are either. Right. So the margins are still very good, uh, but uh, we're not in this for a, a twelve fifty gold price. I mean, I think that the price of gold, just based on money supply, has to be has to go much higher than it currently is. On based on M two money supply, 
my own thought is that gold should be between eighteen hundred and two thousand dollars an ounce. Well, I know Bruce that uh, a fellow from Kitco was telling me uh, at a conference, uh, San Francisco conference, actually that in fact um, the Indian people are playing on the black market three hundred dollars higher than what the paper pro- price is in New York. Do you have a sense that there's something a little bit fishy going on in New York and London? Uh- you know, I, I don't know. I really mm-hmm. can't comment on that. Um, you know, so yeah. one thing I want to add, though, is despite, uh, you know, my own personal thoughts on the gold price, we're budgeting right now for the price to stay where it is. So we're running all of our mine projections, and we've actually run our new uh, reserve model at 1250 gold. So, it's, okay. uh, you know, we're, we're being very conservative with our budgets and our estimations of the price of gold, but, you know... Uh, you and I over a beer, I, I would tell you that uh, my own personal belief is that gold is going higher. I think it has to go higher based on any any number of factors that have been in place for the last uh, decade or more, and we're going to see gold go higher here. Well, Bruce, if you're uh, doing your resource reserve calculations on 1250, what are those numbers now? Well, the numbers are right now. We had a significant increase. When we first started the uh, the mine, uh, we had a uh, an eight-year, uh, so we had uh, five-year mine life at 80,000 ounces a year, and that was 611,000 ounces of reserves. Well, now we've got uh, proven and probable reserves of uh, close to 1.6 million ounces, and we've got inferred ounces of uh, one point, close to 1.8 million ounces. So we have a nine-and-a-half-year mine life at 120,000 ounces a year, Plus, we have another million eight of inferred ounces right beside the uh, the current pits uh, that we could uh, we, we're going to bring in eventually, and we've had a very good uh, success rate at bringing those uh, ounces into uh, our mine plant. So, uh, you know, we feel that uh, you know at least half of those ounces on a historical basis should become part of uh, a mine plant at some point. So are you? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Plus, plus a few more for uh, for the inferred ounces. So sort of mostly just infill drilling then, I guess, and you should be able to increase that reserve further and, and expand that mine life possibly, That's probably. Right. That's mm-hmm. right, yeah. And beyond that, anything besides uh, that, or is that just your, your, your primary focus is the San Francisco project now? Well, the San Francisco project is our, our main focus, but we've got 200,000 hectares of very prospective ground in our land package. We've got a district-scale land package up in northern Sonora. And uh, despite the fact that we've been focusing on drilling off the ounces around the pits to bring them into the mine plan, uh, we have uh, managed to do some regional prospecting. And we're going to uh, maintain our core group of geologists. It's a real priority for us. We've got some excellent people working the ground down in Mexico. And they all live there. They're all Mexicans, and they're doing a terrific job of uh, exploring. We've got a, a few high-priority targets that uh, we'll be focusing on just on a prospecting basis over the next, uh, next 12 months. Uh, right at the very top of our claim block, we've got a high-grade silver. Um, it's a, it's a, a limestone ridge. We've been following it for years. It's about three to five kilometers long. And mm-hmm. you can see these old workings out in the desert. Mm-hmm. We finally have access to the underground. You can see it on our website. We finally got access to the underground, and it opens right up. And we're getting a kilo to seven kilos of silver uh, from fairly wide um, vein structures and uh, you know big uh, 
big clavos underground. So it's it's really working out well there. And we've got other uh, you know other areas we've, we've drilled and prospected. We're hitting gold everywhere. When I first went to that project, I could see quartz pebbles everywhere. So it's really a, a function of um, you know really solid prospecting, mapping, sampling, and getting a better understanding you know uh, without drilling in the next little while. We have to do things that are inexpensive over the next twelve months. Right, and are, so you're cutting back probably on your exploration, your drilling, and uh, 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 your drilling budget probably cut back now as long as the gold price stays where it is. Well, we've uh, over the last two years we spent thirty million dollars on drilling, so that's mm. a major scale uh, mm-hmm. drill program, and mm-hmm. and it was a very valuable program. It uh, yielded some very good results for us. So yes, we're cutting back. We couldn't. Uh, sustain that level of drilling we, we we had to hire extra people for that so we're cutting back now it'll be good to give our geologists a bit of a bit of a rest here actually they've been mm-hmm. going full bore for two years mm-hmm. so now we're going to focus on regional exploration boots on the ground prospecting sampling mapping bruce i think i read somewhere that you were going to increase your production a little more this year than what you're now uh, projecting that you had decided not to uh, to install a, a new uh, an additional crusher, is that right? That's right. We have a second pit called Lachachera, and the nice thing about our mine plan is it gives us some optionality. Uh, we have the San Francisco pit from which we're currently producing, mm-hmm. uh, and we can either uh, extend, um, you know, we we can either expand a bit at San Francisco to keep us at the 120,000 ounce range, and by that I mean bring in more trucks. Uh, and uh, maybe a little more equipment, uh, or we can go to Lachachera. But Lachachera right now is going to require the installation of this third crushing unit, which we have on site. We were mm-hmm. scheduled to install it in uh, in the summer, but given the lower price of gold, we wanted to focus on conserving our cash, building our cash balance, and uh, probably waiting for a higher gold price before we put Lachachera into production. Uh, so- it also requires uh, uh, some extensive pre-stripping, so uh, we don't want to spend the money right now, uh, mm-hmm. but it does give us the optionality to uh, put, uh, put Lachachar into production uh, once we build some cash and the price of gold goes higher. And then does that give you a chance to expand your, your uh, output, your production a little more, quite a we bit could. more? Yeah, we can go to 32,000 tons per day overall crushing capacity with that mm-hmm. third crushing unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now we're working on optimizing our existing crushing, and it's coming along very nicely. Uh, so, um, yeah, we do have some optionality there, uh, and mm-hmm. we can go a little higher if we get to 32,000 tons a day with that new crusher. Would that be? Uh, would those be more expensive ounces, uh, Bruce, by any chance? You mentioned a lot of overburden. Yeah, initially the overburden, it's $12 million to uh, take away the, uh, the overburden. Mm-hmm. So that's the expense that we don't want to go uh, have to uh, uh, take away from our cash balance. Um, at, at current gold prices, so we're just mm-hmm. uh, we've got two years to make that decision, or a year and a half anyway. And uh, hopefully, over the next year and a half, uh, we, the gold price will will get to a level where um, it'll justify that type of upfront expenditure. I don't think I could hold my breath that long, Bruce. Uh, two and a half years, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's been a very difficult time for sure, but you guys are still making money. I might mention, again, I think your earnings were $0.09 cents a share. Those are your your accounting profits. Is that right for the first nine months? Uh, I think that's right, Jay. Uh, uh, something I mean, like I'm that. Looking at, uh, I'm looking at some of the stats here from uh, from independent uh, coverage. Mm-hmm. And we've got one of the lowest uh, all-in 
uh, all-in costs for 2014 and our all-in sustaining costs are quite low. And part of that is that we've already spent the money we had to spend on drilling and that we've uh, already spent the uh, money for the expansion of our existing crushing circuit and for new heap leach pads. So we're good for a couple of years on our leach pads. Bruce, uh, before I let you go, what is the uh, the website? Is timmonsgold.com or something like that? Yeah, www.timmonsgold.com. Timmonsgold.com. One more thing before I let you go. How do you um, stack up vis-a-vis some of your peers, other companies that might be producing on the order of 100,000 ounces a year? How does your your um, your share price stack up with well, the metrics you know, of some of the others? Like most CEOs, I think that uh, we're undervalued by any metric. Of course. Uh, you know, certainly <laughs> I think that uh, this this recent bit of selling has uh, hit us uh, hit us very hard. We've had a lot of selling in the last uh, three, four months. We were actually hanging in very well relative to our peers. I think we're probably, we've probably taken a little bit extra selling in the last three, four months. So, um, you know, on, on a production level, I think that uh, we're undervalued uh, without looking at any peers or anything, just based on the price of gold and our production level and our costs, we're extremely undervalued. Well, it's uh, it's not unusual in this industry. Uh, the stocks overshoot on the upside and undershoot on the downside. I think that's true in general, but I think it's even more true in this industry, which uh, seems to have the ups and downs. And when it's, when things are going well, boy, it's it's a wonderful sector to be in. And I, Bruce, I just have to think we're not too far from a bottom or a bottoming process here, at least. I hope that's not just wishful thinking. I'm, I'm hoping that's true. But in any event, thank you. You're, you're doing a great job with Timmons. We, we spoke many years ago when you were not yet in production, and uh, it's, uh, uh, I'm proud to say that I was uh, uh, one of the first to recommend it a long time ago. So thank you very much, Bruce, well, for right, coming. I just, I just want to interject there slightly. And I remember when we first uh, went public back in 2006, you were the first uh, person to uh, give us some, uh, some coverage in your newsletter. And then in uh, 2007, uh, when you went on the, B- the BNN, uh, one of the segments on BNN, uh, you uh, were um, very influential in uh, getting the share price higher just based on a uh, five-minute segment on, on BNN. Those were very rem- heady days back then. But I remember it well. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was in the room with you in the, in the green room. One, yeah. thing I rem- uh, one thing, though, right now, if, you know, if the price of gold goes up, $250, which is only a 25% move in the price of gold from mm-hmm. the current price, mm-hmm. the, our earnings double. And that's wow. the type of leverage that you have to look for right now in, in gold stocks. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, if our earnings double, then, uh, you know, hopefully our share price should double as well. Should at least double and uh, perhaps more. But anyway, thank you very much, Bruce, for uh, for sharing information on Timmons Gold with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being yeah, with you. us today. Okay. Folks, right. don't go away. I'm going to be right back with uh, John Rubino, and we'll hear what he has to say about uh, gold and equity markets and debt markets and a host of other things. So don't go away. You won't want to miss the insights of John Rubino. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Gold and Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine, operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am uh, your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me John Rubino, who uh, is pinch-hitting for my good friend Ian Gordon, who came down with a very serious bout of the flu. Couldn't be with us today. Uh, John John has been with us in the past. Uh, he's a uh, co-author uh, of a book uh, called uh, Dollar Collapse. He co-authored with James Turk. Uh, and uh, I met up with John for the first time at the... Um, uh, at an event down in Dallas, Texas, the Liberty Mastermind Symposium. And, uh, well, he's, I think, one of the nicest guys, one of the most decent guys in this business, uh, also very competent and a very good writer and, uh, I think, a very good analyst. Uh, I'm not going to go through his whole uh, bio because you can read it at the Voice America uh, business channel on our, on our site there. Just look up John Robino, and uh, you can find out all the things he's done uh, formerly on Wall Street and now has chosen to raise his family in a more sane part of the country out west in the northwest uh, of the country. Welcome, John. Really good to have you with me. Oh, hey, Jay. Good to be back. It's really, uh, really nice uh, that you could pinch hit for, for Ian Gordon. You know, Ian is a real deflationist. He is, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I've had, I had him and Robert Prechter on my show together one time. Uh, and it was sort of like a deflationist party time for those guys. I don't know why anybody would party over deflation. It's a very serious subject. But um, Ian is talking about something as serious as a 1,000 on the Dow. In fact, Prechter sees something below that. I think he still does. And But Ian sees $4,000 gold, and Prechter saw $600 gold or something like that. Um, I know that you and I have sort of talked about this in the past a little bit, but um, what are your thoughts about this whole debate between the inflationist and the deflationist? Because we know that that the patient is sick. We know that enormous amounts of money have been created, that malinvestment is a result, that bubbles are blown all the time, that, that capital is misallocated, uh, and that we're getting ourselves into deeper and deeper trouble. But how is this thing going to work its way out, John, in your view? I think this is a perfect subject for us to start with, Jay, because uh, James Turk and I just uh, just wrote another book. It'll be out this week called The oh, Money wonderful. Bubble. And the, the introduction uh, of that book is titled The Long Wave Versus the Printing Press, and it, it mm-hmm. discusses exactly this. Um, 
according to Kondrachev wave and Elliott wave and, and the fourth turning and, and every other basically uh, long wave theory that's out there, um, we should be deep into a, a, a capital D depression right now. You know, mm-hmm. the, the cycle that began after World War II should have peaked in the late 90s or 2000 with the tech stock bubble bursting, mm-hmm. and yet it didn't. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people are scratching their heads and saying, well, how, why aren't we in Kondrachev winter right now? And mm-hmm. um, the, the answer, I think, is that uh, those theories were based on history. Mm-hmm. And for most of the history of market-based economies, money was sound. That is, it was gold and silver, and governments couldn't make more of it. Mm-hmm. So when debts reached an unsustainable level, um, they they had to be resolved one way or the other, and usually it was through um, a mass default, which led to a depression. So we hit that point in 2000 where our debts were grossly unsustainable, and we should have had a mass liquidation, which led to a 1930s-style depression, uh, according to these theories, but we didn't. And the reason we didn't is because... For the first time in history, all of the world's governments are armed with unlimited fiat currency printing presses. Mm -hmm. So they can meet a debt deflation with a tidal wave of newly created currency. And this has enabled them to hold off the the advent of the long wave winter. And but it's been at the cost of another twenty or thirty trillion dollars of global debt, depending on how you calculate debt. It's actually much more if you include unfunded liabilities of, of uh, retirement programs like Social Security and Medicare. Mm-hmm. So what we've done, rather than um, um, eliminating the the economic laws that long wave theories are, are based upon, we've actually amplified them by delaying them. So we, we've mm-hmm. taken on even more debt, and so when the crash comes, it's going to be even bigger. It's going to be something that uh, no one's seen in living memory, for sure, and maybe that no one in the history of market economies has seen, because we just owe absolutely insane amounts of money now. Yeah, and, and that's uh, for sure. Yeah. Go ahead, John. And, and so, so right now, we're, we're trying our best to deflate our way out of it. Everybody to, to, in the world basically is printing insane amounts of new currency and just tossing it out into the, the banking system in the hope that somehow that fixes all this debt. But um, we, we can't have everybody's currency go down at the same time because that cancels out the advantages of a weaker currency for any individual country. So we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're getting, you know, possibly a global hyperinflation as a way of offsetting a global debt deflation. So in other words, we, we're in uncharted territory, and the, uh, the stakes are incredibly high right now, and there's no way to know how this plays out because we've never done this. Yeah, indeed. Well, you mentioned 2000 should have been the trigger point. It should have been the, uh, the beginning of the Kondratiev winter. In fact, Ian Gordon still in his charts looks at, looks at it that way. But then we had 2008, Lehman Brothers, which I think was a more serious uh, threat to that deflation. It seemed like it almost got away from the Fed. In fact, I, I look at something I, I put together called my inflation deflation watch, and we saw by that measure a outright deflation for a couple of months or so in the asset prices, very serious deflation in asset prices. But as you mentioned, they printed more and more faster and faster. And so we're seeing, uh, we're, we're not seeing it in so much in the general economy, but we're cer- certainly seeing it in the equity prices, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Well, well, this takes us back to um, the concept of inflation, because a lot of people misunderstand the, the, the really the definition of inflation, because mm-hmm. it is an increase in the money supply. 
mm-hmm. uh, rather than an increase in general price levels. Um, sure. Rising general price levels is just one possible outcome of the government dramatically increasing the money supply. Mm-hmm. And one other more common outcome is asset bubbles. Mm-hmm. In other words, instead of going across the board into every single thing that is out there to buy, all that new money uh, focuses on a hot sector and just pours into it. So in, in the 1980s, we had the junk bond bubble. The 1980s or the 1990s, we had tech stocks, and in the 2000s, we had the housing bubble. And so this, I think you could make the case, was a sign of raging inflation, but it was localized. It was localized in specific asset bubbles. And now we're at it again. Um, Regular, um, you know, the CPI, the, the, the normal things that people look at as inflation are extremely well behaved, yet we've got asset bubbles raging all around the world. We've got uh, U.S. stocks back up to uh, previous record levels. And we've got real estate in most of the uh, the really attractive major cities of the world at absolute record levels. And recently, art prices have gone through the roof. Uh, there was a painting that was sold for a new record um, just lately at auction. And jewelry, the same thing. And, and uh, in Singapore and some other Asian countries, they're building storage facilities near airports, you know, and outside the jurisdiction of governments because they're, uh, they're technically uh, in transit, where the 1% can store the hard assets that they're buying with all their, the new currency that's flowing into their accounts. And uh, so that's also a sign of raging inflation. So I, I think looked at it through the, um, the lens of Austrian economics, you would say that we're in an extreme inflationary period right now. But it just doesn't show up in the stuff that you and I buy because um, there, there's plenty of food and cars and things like that out there. But there are mm-hmm. relatively and, – and the money's not flowing to us. It's flowing to the you know, top one-tenth of one percent right now, the way the system is set up. You know, the government creates the money, gives it to the banking system. They give it to their rich clients. And those rich clients have lots of extra money with which to buy hard assets. So they're moving their money out of fiat currency and into things like art and farmland and high-end real estate and other collectible-type things, uh, which is a sign that they're losing faith in fiat currency. So the smart money is moving out of fiat currency already, even though based on the consumer price index, yada, yada, it looks like inflation is well-behaved and these currencies are strong. They're actually not. But so far, it's only the smart money, which most people don't pay attention to, that is acting on the, uh, the inflationary tsunami that's going on out there. Uh, it's uh, that top one-tenth of one percent, one percent for sure, that are able to buy expensive art objects and never even care about looking at them, but just simply to try to preserve their wealth by putting them in warehouses that are set outside of airports. That's a, that is ridiculous. I mean, that is absolutely that ridiculous. Yeah. And and you know, and and the people on the left left side of the political spectrum rail against that. They certainly do, and rightfully so, but they don't seem to have the understanding of why it is occurring. They don't seem to understand that it is this monetary phenomenon. Why is there so much ignorance, John, in the economy and uh, in the general society about this? Well, we've spent 70 years living with fiat currency, so we think that's the environment now. We, we, as a society, don't realize that it's actually this aberration that leads to exactly what we're getting um, in, in terms of, um, of a huge discrepancy be- between rich and poor and asset prices behaving in crazy ways and wages of workers being squeezed. You know, this is all the, the predictable result of using unsound forms of money. But because it's been such a long time since 
things were any different. We don't know that. And so we've got um, people on both sides of the political spectrum thinking that they benefit from the current system. Like you said, on the left, um, they see easy money and aggressive government spending as helping their their constituencies, helping Mm -hmm. working-class people. And on the right, they see easy money and uh, aggressive government spending on defense and stuff like that as as helping the the rich their people and mm-hmm. so everybody thinks they're benefiting from this but in effect they're they're you know as a society we're like a family that's maxing out one credit card after another and living really well and thinking things are okay but what we're really doing is building up this gigantic bill that has to be paid and that will crush us when it finally does have to be paid well and, and it is no it is an illusion, and Alistair McLeod, who's been on this show, talked about the Cotillard effect that occurs, and it's the, the people closest to the feeding trough that get the richest. Those 1% that you talk about are the government bureaucracy and the people that get something from government, uh, but uh, ultimately the working, uh, let's say the productive sector of the society gets crushed, as you say it. Well, John, so uh, then this leads me, though, to the practical aspect. Those of us who have at least a little bit of money in the equity markets wonder we're seeing, um, you know, I think I passed along a chart to you that showed a discrepancy between the direction of the S&P 500 and the GDP, which is ratcheting downward. And so we're seeing this, you know, as, as you were just saying, this enormous amount of inflation in the asset prices. The equity markets are making new highs. Uh, they seem to be doing extremely well. Do you see this continuing on through 2014? Oh, stocks are, are terrifying right now because it ha- the, the general stock market in the U.S. has two very plausible futures in the year ahead. And one is this massive correction, which you look at any chart and that's what you see coming. You know, margin debt is at record levels and, and the broad market averages are also at record levels and, and corporate earnings have been inflated by a lot of factors that if we have time we could talk about. So they're not really real. And so you put all that together and the stock market should correct by 30% just based on history. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the, uh, the government has spent the last five years pouring money into bank balance sheets. So the banks have excess reserves at, at levels that no society has ever seen before. And, and in a fractional reserve banking system, if banks decide to start lending that money out, you get a multiplier effect where you take $3 trillion or whatever of bank reserves, which hit the economy, and instantly turn into $20 trillion of consumption. And we could also see that in the year ahead, which would um, send stocks probably through the roof because the, the money has to go somewhere. And uh, based on the past couple of years, it's probably going to keep on going into equities because that's the hot market. There's really no no other game in town. You know, bonds just, um, for a lot of reasons, don't look right right now. And uh, there's just not a lot else that's big enough to accommodate that kind of money besides the stock market. So you could see the stock market go up another 30% from here under a completely plausible scenario. And either of those is, you know, either of those could happen. The market could tank or it could soar. Uh, based on fundamental and technical factors that are out there right now. So I have no idea what's going to happen. I I think that this might be a great year for volatility spreads, where you you don't care where the market's going. You just bet that it's going to go there um, dramatically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
you know, play some play some uh, the Vix or something, I suppose, yeah. possibly. But that's uh, that's that's a dangerous game too. But it's just clearly that you that you have to play those kind of games instead of investing in something that actually does some good for somebody. You know, it's just it's incredible. But you mentioned uh, the junk bond bubble, the tech stock bubble, the housing bubble. So what do we have now? Do we have a financial market bubble? Do we have an equity market bubble? A bond bubble still? What? Are, how would you typify this? Well, you could think of this as, uh, you know, the, the title of our book is The Money Bubble, and, and mm-hmm. that is because uh, we've been basically inflating fiat currencies for mm-hmm. the past 30 or 40 years. So that's the meta bubble uh, mm-hmm. within which all these smaller bubbles have, have inflated and then popped. And at some point, you get the, uh, you get the big bubble blowing up, and, and it, it could well be that we're at the end of the era of asset bubbles, and that when when this one pops, whatever it turns out to be, whether it's equities tanking or uh, high end real estate or whatever, that mm-hmm. people are going to look at the uh, the cause of these recurring booms and busts and bubbles and bursting of bubbles, and see that it's the concept of fiat currency, and and just realize that. This is going to continue as long as we're using play money instead of real money. And then the, uh, the, the idea of the euro and the yen and the dollar are thrown into disrepute, and then everything changes. So I think that um, we're clearly in a fiat currency bubble, and that its bursting can't be too far away just because the numbers are so immense right now. You know, you, you can't go much further than this based on all the debt that's out there and, and all the other indicators of excess that you see wherever you look. So that uh, that sounds like it could be hopeful in the sense that if 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 I mean that we have to go through that kind of pain and suffering that would come either with a hyperinflationary depression or a deflationary de- depression is is a shame. But the fact is that if that's what it takes, um, then maybe there's some hope that people could go back to some honest monetary system again. Indeed, you know, and and would you think possibly that the Chinese and others that seem to be gravitating more in that direction might might force the issue? Well, the Chinese are behaving as if they understand this, because yeah. they're basically sucking up all the gold that's available out in the world. Exactly. They're encouraging their, their um, citizens to buy gold, and the Chinese government itself is importing, well, it looks like maybe 2,000 metric tons of gold this year, which is, or accumulating 2,000 metric tons of gold, and mm-hmm. their, their domestic gold mining industry also just stays at home and is bought by, mm-hmm. by local people. So they're behaving as if they intend on some level in some way to back their currency with gold or their economy with gold, or they're just investing in something which clearly looks like it's going up in fiat currency terms, which just makes it a good investment. So one way mm-hmm. or another, China seems to get this. They're behaving mm-hmm. as, as you and I would recommend people, that, that, that people behave faced with um, a, a currency that's being systematically destroyed by its government. So the question is, what are they going to do with all that gold? Because if they use it to back the, the yuan and try to make that a reserve currency, that, that would instantly show up the dollar and the yen and the euro as the, uh, the play money that they are. Because mm-hmm. here you would have a, a real currency used in international trade, backed by gold and convertible into gold. And then you look at these paper currencies that uh, are backed by nothing and convertible into nothing. And the, the, clearly you want to hold the good currency, the sound money, and you want to spend the other 
stuff, which means the uh, the value of the paper currencies would fall dramatically um, relative to the, the yuan or the the basket of Asian currencies backed by gold with yuan as its foundation or whatever they end up doing. And so that's a real possibility out there, and that would change things in a hurry. It would be very painful for us, though, because in effect, that's a massive devaluation of the dollar mm-hmm. to get from here to there, and that means your dollar savings become less valuable. So mm-hmm. maybe everybody's cash, everybody's bank CDs, everybody's bonds, bond mutual funds, etc., go down by 50% or whatever. That takes a mm-hmm. huge hit or a huge cut from every pension fund, um, every quote-unquote, well-balanced individual portfolio. Um, and, and so all of a sudden, we become a lot less rich than we thought we were. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a really painful transition. And, uh, but but I, I think that's probably the least painful <laughs> of all the possibilities yeah. out there because there, yeah. there's no way to get from, from here to a, a sustainable world in which government is limited and money is sound uh, without the current money becoming a lot less valuable. Yeah, well, it's it's we do uh, definitely have some challenges ahead of us, to put it mildly. Uh, uh, gold, though, would be the place to be in that in that event to have gold, assuming the government allows you to have it and doesn't take it from you or take a big part of it from you. Well, you know, gold is the interesting part of the story of uh, the one percent that we were talking about before, because um, normally, if you've got a ton of money and you're throwing it at paintings and jewelry and and high end real estate, gold is on that list. It's a real asset that governments can't create in infinite quantities. Therefore, it becomes more valuable when um, national currencies are becoming less valuable. And yet gold's going down. So mm-hmm. why is that? I, I, I think that alone makes a circumstantial case for manipulation of the gold market because um, there, there's no other reason why if paintings and London penthouses are going through the roof, that gold wouldn't be along for the ride. Absolutely. And bitcoins also. And we don't have time, John. My engineer is telling me we're out of time. Uh, there, I wanted to talk to you about bitcoins. I wanted oh, to talk to you about the bond market. I wanted to talk to you about uh, some geopolitical issues, which we may have just talked about, uh, all kinds of things. So we'll want to have you back again sometime uh, soon in the new year, if that's possible, John. Yeah. Really. Oh, tell our listeners, though, before we say goodbye, your website is dollarcollapse.com. Yes, I run dollarcollapse.com, and it's, uh, it, it basically is a daily updated site that covers what we, you and I talked about today. And a lot of other things, and you do uh, update it, and there's lots of good information there, so folks, be sure to go there. Thank you very much, John, for being with us today. Really appreciate it, and we will have you back again sometime soon. Great, Jay. I look forward to it. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Jeff Siegel. We're going to talk about something a little different. Uh, we're going to talk about energy, believe it or not, and, and maybe even uh, renewable energy. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Jeff Siegel. <laughs> 